Okay, so we're going to be back in 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2 this evening. We'll go ahead and uh, work through these verses together. So last week we were in verses 15 through 17. Uh, this week we're going to be in verses 18 through 25. Now as we've uh, walked through 1 John together, you may remember a couple of things. First of all, John is writing to combat a particular heresy, and it's a heresy known as Gnosticism. Uh, gnosis is knowledge in this heresy, Todd, that Jesus, the gospel, aren't enough. You need some sort of higher knowledge to truly know God. And so it taught that the gospel isn't sufficient by itself. So John writes, and he writes these people to help them know how they can know if they know Christ. And he gives them three tests. Uh, the truth test. Do you believe the truth about Jesus? Secondly, the life test. Do you live in a way that shows that, that you know Jesus? And then thirdly, the love test. Do you love the family of Jesus, the family of God, the brothers and sisters? So as we walk through, we will see him kind of interact with these things over and over again. This week, his focus is a little bit different, actually, uh, and I think we'll see that as we walk through. So let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll begin in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. God, I thank you for your word, uh, the way it addresses uh, every need in our lives. Uh, Lord, whether that's uh, our eternal destiny, knowing Christ, or whether it's uh, just the grace and the strength and the wisdom we need today. And uh, Lord, every day is a fresh reminder of your mercies, but also a fresh reminder of how much we need you. And so God, I pray that this evening that your spirit would help us understand your word. And then as we understand it, you would change us and make us more like your son, Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll read the passage, and then we'll walk our way through it together. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, now it's funny because that's, I'll just pause here for a second, but that's one of John's favorite names for, for the church here. And so he addresses them again as children, kind of like father in the faith. Children, it's the last hour, and as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not have they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father has the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Now, as John is prone to do, he kind of states things one way, and then I'll kind of flip it around and, and say it the opposite way. And so it can be a little bit tough to track through what he's saying here, but he introduces a, a new topic. Uh, and what is sometimes put in the category of uh, eschatology, which just means the doctrine of the last thing. So we think about the book of Revelation, Revelation or the book of Daniel or the book of Ezekiel, a portion of those books fits into that category, the doctrine of the end times or the last things. And we know that's what John is addressing here because the first phrase that he uses, he says, children, it is the last hour. Now, when we say, well, what's the final hour? What's the last hour? You know, there are different theories, ideas about what he means here. And if we kind of pulled the group tonight, no doubt we could come up with some good ideas on our own. But one thing to remember here is, you know, we're sitting here in the year 2020, some 
almost 2,000 years removed when, from when John is writing this. And today we're like, oh yeah, it's the last hour, it's the last days. But John is writing this at the end of the first century. And he's referring to himself as living in the last days, which is, which is an interesting uh, sort of turn of phrase for us to think through in our minds. So he's referring to his moment there in the first century as the final hour. And we sit here some 1900 plus years later, and we're like, John, you missed it pretty badly. But what that tells us is John's not missing this because God's recorded this in his word. And so we know he's saying something true. Well, what is he referring to? He's referring to a period of time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. It's, it's this whole period between the ascension of Christ, recorded in Acts chapter 1, and the return of Christ that we're still looking forward to. This period of time, metaphorically, it's not a single hour, but it's, it's the last hour. And in terms of uh, the span of eternity, it's like an hour in God's eyes. A thousand years are like a day. So it's this period of time. And so this also teaches us, too, just to be careful as we work through sections of Scripture like this, that uh, we should work really hard to try to understand it. But it can also be a caution to us to say we can only understand it to a point. There's only so much that we can figure out without actually walking through the future. So we actually are now living in the last days. And according to John, we have been for almost two millennia, for almost 2,000 years. And then he introduces us to a category that you may or may not be familiar with. He brings up the Antichrist. Now, he uses this term uh, two different ways here. He speaks of the Antichrist, and he speaks also of plural Antichrist. Many Antichrists have come. So what gives here? Well, first of all, this is not something, it's not a term that's used commonly throughout Scripture. John is the only biblical writer to actually use this term. So it's something unique to him. And anti is a, a prefix that it can, it can be used a couple of different ways. So first of all, an antichrist or an antichrist is, it, it could be some, it, anti could be someone who claims to be something, but isn't. So I don't know, let's say I, I claim I'm the uh, Michael Jordan of basketball players. I don't know if any of you have watched the documentary that's been out in recent weeks, but I, I loved watching MJ growing up. And so uh, it's been kind of fun to track that. But let's say I proclaim myself the, the Michael Jordan of basketball players. And someone says, yeah, no, dude, you're the anti-MJ. Like, you're the, uh, you, you claim that, but you ain't that. And, and that's what antichrist can mean. So it's someone who can claim to be something, but isn't that. Or it can also just mean the opposite. So let's say someone is very, I don't know, cruel, cutting in their conversation, yet they claim to be kind. Well, they're the anti-kind. And so in this case, Antichrist can mean someone who claims to be something, but isn't. So someone who comes and claims to be Jesus, the Messiah, but isn't actually the Messiah. Or it can be someone who's the opposite of that, someone very cruel, vindictive, a different kind of ruler. And so what we see here is there appears to be an ultimate Antichrist, but also lesser, many Antichrists. So the expression is a little bit ambiguous and a little bit difficult to figure out. So we try to do our best to figure out what it means with also, without also kind of reading too much into it or identifying someone specifically you know, from our impression, like you're the Antichrist, probably not a good way to go in most instances. But the bottom line is uh, Antichrists imply both the presence of Christ because it's a reaction to Jesus and the arrival of the last days. And so he digs a little bit further into what this means in verse 19 talks about these antichrists, and he says, they went out 
from us, which tells us what? These people are former church members, former members of, of this church John's referring to. So he's identifying the identity of these antichrists. So what are the marks of these kind of people? At some point, this person is probably a member in good standing in a local church. But at this point, they represent the opposite of what Jesus represents. They're not true members of the body of Christ. Well, how do we know they're not true members of the body of Christ? Well, because he says they would have continued with us if they were with us, but they went out. That it might be plain that they all are not of us. What he's saying here is that an evidence that these people are not true followers of Christ, but are actually anti-Christ's, they, they, they don't actually follow Christ, is that they've, they've left. And so one thing he teaches here is that if you're a, a genuine follower of Jesus, you walk with Jesus. So he gets a little bit into the life test here, although that's not necessarily the, the thrust, um, kind of his main focus here. But if you follow Jesus, you keep walking with Jesus. So how do you know, according to this verse, verse 19, if you're truly a follower of Jesus? You walk with Jesus. You keep, you keep following Jesus. Sometimes um, we, we call this uh, persevering. Sometimes we call this eternal cure, security. Sometimes we call this preservation. But it's the idea that someone who um, places faith in Christ, that God will preserve that person in the end. So how does that happen? Verse 20. You, he says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. So it's not just about making it to the end with Jesus. There's something that happens today. And so what is it that enables us to keep following Jesus? It's a ministry today of, of the Holy One, of the Holy Spirit. And it's this, it's this ongoing relationship with God through the Spirit of God. So those who keep walking with Jesus do so not, not, not because they're smarter or more determined, but because the Spirit of God lives in them. And God's spirit enables them, enables us uh, to do this. Now, what kind of ministry does he say the Holy Spirit has here? The end of verse 20, he says, you all have what? You have knowledge. It's a ministry of knowledge. So why or how do we know the truth? He says, we know the truth because of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God reveals the mind of God to us through the Word of God. In verse 21, he adds, I write to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lies are the truth. So what's, what's he getting at here? He's saying it is possible to know the truth. In other words, in a world that says we can all have our own truth, John is saying that's not true, actually. He's saying there is a truth, and, and God is the one who decrees that truth. And we know that truth as the Spirit of God opens our eyes to the Word of God. So as we walk through life, we're evaluating what's true and what's false. Anything that is contrary to God's Word is false. Anything that is consistent with or aligns with God's Word is true. And so we know the truth through the Spirit of God as He reveals the Word of God to us. So those who walk through life according to the truth, they're followers of Jesus. But there is another kind of person in the world, verse 22, and that's a person he calls a liar. Now, as we've seen, 
John does not mess around when it comes to uh, people who don't follow Jesus. He calls them antichrists. He calls them liars. I mean, he just puts it right out there. And so how in this, in this context, how do we know what, a, what or who a liar is? This liar denies something. And this liar denies that Jesus is the Christ. Or if you remember from uh, Sunday, Matthew 26, Mary anoints Jesus. Christ means anointed one. He's the Messiah. And so to deny that Jesus is the Messiah is a lie. And what exactly is John talking about? He's talking about denying that Jesus who's revealed in God's word. Now, this happens a lot in current culture where people claim that they know Christ or profess faith in Christ, but they create a Jesus in their own image or according to their own making. So they deny things that Jesus taught about sin or about salvation or about the exclusivity exclusivity of, of the truth of the word of God. And what John is saying is, that if you don't accept Christ as he's revealed in scripture, that's believing, embracing a lie. But he says, he goes on further and he says, that's the antichrist, the one who denies the father and the son. Uh, the famous church reformer, Martin Luther, uh, said at one point that he who believes the truth, save at all points where it's being denied, is a heretic. In other words, what, what he's saying is, if we only accept the truth when it's comfortable to us, we're not really accepting the truth. We're only accepting our version of the truth. We're believing a lie. And so sometimes uh, God's truth intersects our lives in a way that is, I'll say, relatively easy to accept. Uh, so God loves you. Well, that's something that I enjoy hearing and need to hear. Judgment awaits those who don't know God. That's, that's a harder doctrine. And, and not as fun for us to embrace. And, and what, what we see here is that we must embrace all that God teaches, both about his love and his justice. So verse 23, he goes on and kind of, um, he, he gets at the same ideas and he kind of flips it around a little bit. No one who denies the son has the father, but whoever confesses the son has the father also. So he's saying, how do you know God himself? Well, there's no way to know God except through Jesus Christ. And if you know Christ, you'll know the Father. If you know the Father, you'll know Jesus. They're inseparable. It's similarly similar to what Jesus said, that he came to reveal the Father and to do the Father's will, and people know the Father through the Son. Verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Now, this phrase, from the beginning, is something that he, he also uses frequently. He begins his book this way. He begins his gospel within the beginning. He has this reference to this time past. It's a familiar phrase. And so what he's saying is battle the messages that come from all over with the message that has stayed true since the beginning of time and is that God saves sinners through faith in Christ. Stay true to that message. And if, he goes on to say, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. So if the gospel lives in you, if the good news that Jesus Christ died to save you lives in you, then you will abide in Christ and in the Father. So a lot of times uh, we, we use the phrase, you know, have you accepted Christ in your heart? We speak about Christ, accepting Christ. But the Bible also speaks, and actually more frequently, about us being in Christ. So there's this two-way street. There's Christ coming to us and in us. We often think of that through the Spirit, but, but, uh, but Scripture actually does speak of Christ in you, the hope of glory, but also speaks of us in Christ. And so if Christ abides in us, where do we abide? In Christ. 
And so there's this kind of, there's this two-way street. Our, ho our heart is a, a home for Jesus, and he is our dwelling place, our home, our tabernacle. So hold on to this message, John says, the same message. If you hold fast to the message of the gospel, you will remain in Christ and make it to the end. So the key to, to making it all the way through time and, and not walking away from Jesus is to abide in Christ. Uh, Jesus teaches, about, te teaches this in John 15. He says, abide in me. And he, he says, I am the true vine. You stay connected to Christ. And then he talks about fruit that remains or fruit that lasts to the end. In the last verse here, verse 25, is the shortest of these verses, but perhaps, at least to me, the most encouraging. Because it's a reminder of the kind of promise that God gives us if we place our faith in Christ. So there are these, all these kinds of tests. Are you passing the truth test? Are you passing the life test? Are you passing the love test? It's like, ah, John, how do I know when I've, when I've done enough? How do I know? I, how do I know if I'm going to be found in Christ at the end? And then he reminds us at the end. I love how he does this. He, 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 he pricks our consciences. He pokes at us a little bit. And then he reminds us in verse 25, this is the promise that he made to us. And if God is true and he is, then you can count on this promise. And what does he say this promise is? This is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So what he's saying is, if you have life in Christ, through faith in Christ, you have eternal life. And if you have eternal life, how long does that last? It is, by definition, eternal. It doesn't end. And so it's not something you can lose. And so there, there's, just, there's this note of comfort in this verse, the promise of God, which is eternal life. So when God gives us life through Christ, it's not something that can stop. And so what we have here is we have this responsibility uh, for ourselves and for, and, and for those um, we live in community with in our churches and our families to encourage one another to keep walking with Jesus. But he also says, you have a promise from God if you've placed your faith in Christ. And that is not just any kind of life, not just a good life. It is an eternal life, a forever life. And so by definition, it's something that perseveres. By definition, it's something that continues. And so there are different uh, schools of thought on this, but there are people, namely uh, Wesleyans or Methodists, um, who, who believe or or who would believe at some level that you could know Christ and walk away. And what John says is if you walk away from Christ, you didn't know him in the first place. Because if you know Christ, the kind of life that you have, it's an eternal life. It's not a life that you can lose. And so I love this, how John reminds us in the midst of all these things that he's going through, we have a promise from God. And this promise is eternal life, something that no one can take from those who know God through faith in Christ. I hope this is an encouragement to you. Uh, we'll, we'll jump back in next week to the verses following, following this, starting in verse 26.